What's good everyone, Matt here from UK Nets Fans. I'm joined by Aidan McConaughey and Cammy Anderson for another episode of BK to UK, the British Brooklyn Nets podcast. On today's episode, we'll be covering the key matchups from the Nets' newly released NBA season schedule, the highs and lows of Media Week, but for the main part of this episode, we're trying something a little different. We're taking a look at every player going into training camp for the Nets and discussing what we expect to see from them in the 2020-21 season. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UKNetsFans and the pod itself on Twitter at BKTUKPod. You can also pick up some merch from teespring.com slash stores slash UKNetsFans and we'd love for you to take a look and support what we're doing. But with that out of the way, let's get into it. Gents, how's it going? Good week. Uh, you've both had, I hope. Yeah, all good, all good to you. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, been good. Been exciting week. There's been so much news coming in. I'm starting to got the countdown for kind of the preseason games coming up soon. So yeah, no, it's starting to feel real now. So yeah, it's been a good week. It's around the corner. I think it's from from when we're recording. It's sort of twelve days, I think, till uh, till the season starts. So it's it's almost upon us. Um, but the first thing we're going to chat about is the Nets released their first half season schedule um, and there have been some key games that have been stuck out. So opening night, December 22nd, we are facing the Warriors with KD going back and facing his old team. On Christmas Day, we're going to go to Boston where Kyrie is going to go back and see his old team. And on Martin Luther King Day, we're going to see what the Bucks are made out of, obviously our, our closest rivals to the top of the East, hopefully this season coming. Um, gents, which, which of these games are you most looking forward to? I think the main one is opening night. That is the game that's kind of the one I'm most excited for now. Let, let's kind of focus on the here and now. Let's not look too far ahead. There's like tons of great games that we're going to have over the course of this season, but I mean, you couldn't write it that KD's going to be up against his former employers in his first game back after soling out injured. And obviously, I think it's going to be a really good game. Unfortunately, we won't see Clay Thompson in that Warriors side, but this is meant to be a Warriors team who are going to bounce back after the kind of mini rebuild last year due to the injuries to Clay and, and Steph as well. So, and Steph's going to be back for this one. So, I think I'm, I'm definitely really excited for this one. I think to beat the best, well, to be the best, we've to beat the best, and the Warriors are quite highly rated coming into the season. I think they're expected to do really well. So, yeah, I'd rather see us kind of test ourselves really soon rather than beat a few kind of diddy teams and maybe struggle when we come up. So, yeah, glad that we're kind of thrown right in at the deep end. Yeah, I'd say I'm probably most excited for Christmas Day against the Celtics, just purely because I'm excited to see what we can do against solid Eastern Conference teams. Uh, I think that's going to be a big thing this year, obviously, the Nets are kind of sure to be a playoff team, but we need to see the teams that we're going to have to beat along the way. And I think I think that's going to be a class game. And I'm excited as well because we've not had a Christmas Day game in so long. We probably do one last year, probably the season before with the team we had. Um, but I mean, it's, it's an honour to be chosen on Christmas Day because it's such a highly watched event. And uh, yeah, it's just going to make Christmas ever so special this year. Definitely. I think Christmas Day is a funny one. So... The way the, the schedule's panned out, we're going to be playing about 10 p.m. UK time on Christmas Day, which I've said is absolutely perfect. You know, you've got, you've, you're a couple of mulled wines in, you've had your big dinner, everything's starting to wind down, you kind of might have another second look at a cheese board or something, and then you can put the game on. I think it's absolutely perfect. 
I think, yeah, the, the people that put together the NBA schedule know exactly what they're doing. I think to open the season with the return of KD and the return of Steph on the same day in the same game is absolute genius with them. Um, it's just such a shame that there's going to be no fans in the arenas. That's, that's going to suck. But I think that, you know, that could work positively in our favor. Um, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not quite sure how hostile the, the, the Golden State Warriors fans would be towards KD. I'm sure it's all love, but, you know, it's something to, to consider. But, but, but there is a part of me that's like, I really want to beat Boston. Like, there's just something mm. with all this chat of Kyrie didn't come last year because he's scared and all this sort of stuff. When he was obviously suffering with an injury, which he subsequently got surgery for. Yeah, I think... I'm I'm toss up between them, um, but yeah, I, I my head my head says look at looking at that Golden State Warriors uh, game is is the most excited, but my heart's like I really want to give the, the Celtics a good a mm. good kick in, but but yes, but opening day can't can't come quick enough. Yeah, no, I I just think it's looking at the schedule in general. I think you look at that first week. Obviously, the Warriors and the Celtics is such a test straight away. Um, and then you look at the rest of the schedule and I actually think for the first 36 games it's looking pretty good to be honest with you I, I would not be surprised if the Nets find the rhythm early on if we get to the end of those 36 games and we're in single digits for losses that should be their target anyway because there's so many winnable games in there um, it does mean obviously the last 32 games sorry 36 games might be a wee bit harder but there's so many winnable games in there Um and yeah, it could put us in a really good position come the All Star break. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm kind of on the same train of thought as that. And something else I noticed was, well, certainly in the US, and where there's been a lot of talk of us having, I think, 19 nationally televised games. So my fingers are massively crossed that that means Sky up their coverage of of us this year. Um, I mean, th this is absolutely fantastic. A, a New York-based team, obviously Eastern Eastern time, so it works out fantastic for us. Games are going to be on at friendly times and. Yeah, if, if we managed to get as many as 19 games on Sky here in the UK, that would be absolutely unreal. But yeah, just need to wait and see if that. But as Aidan says, I think I, I think the expectation should, should kind of be at least single, sorry, single digit in terms of losses. And yeah, it's, it's going to certainly be a real interesting kind of first half of the season. Yeah, that would be really cool. I think I read I read somewhere that in terms, because people always, they, they kind of rank the, the ease of schedule, don't they, about like how many sub-500 teams you play or something. I think the Nets do have one of the easier schedules when it comes to that. You, Cammy, you sort of touched on before. W would you rather just play all the, the not as good teams first so you find your rhythm, or do you kind of test your metal early, really get sort of your teeth back into play? And especially with KD, is that something that I'm sort of struggling on which side of the fence I kind of lean on? What, what do you think of that? I think I'd rather see us have the harder games first, but ultimately the way kind of seasons go, not just in NBA, but in every league, you're, you're playing all sorts of different teams every other week or whatnot. They're not going to make you have 10 hard games in a row followed by 10 easy games. Like, yeah, it's no good. And, as I say, I'm, I'm glad that we've kind of got two tricky games to begin. I'd rather we, we kind of put down a marker and kind of really show what our intentions are for the season because you can't really do that if you're just beating the, the Knicks easy, like in the first few games. It, it doesn't really prove much. But if you can beat the Warriors and the Celtics, two teams who, as I said, are expected to do well, I think that says a lot about the team. And that'll obviously get their fans on their backs as well. 
obviously not not starting as well against the, the teams that they want to beat and prove prove themselves against. So, so yeah, I'm really hopeful that we can really kind of, as I say, put a marker out very early doors by beating these big teams. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think in in terms of the the schedule, I I think just with the way the NBA works in terms of the trade deadline. Just because I'm happy with the team we have at the moment, I think I'd prefer to have a really good record going into that trade deadline, eh, thinking that we're in a good position. Plus, it gives guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie, who have been out with injury for quite a long time, that time to get their confidence back. It sounds so weird because they're such superstars, but it's not going to, I don't think it's going to happen straight away for Kevin Durant. I mean, he's going to come in, he's going to be an impact straight away but he was out for such a long time. And if you can ease him in with, I see like in the first couple of weeks, there's like a back-to-back with Atlanta. Uh, games like that, you get him scoring 40 in, in those type of games. That's where you, if he remembers how good he actually was. And uh, I think if they can get that confidence back, it will, it will mean going into those tougher games after in the second half that it's going to be, to be honest, it, it could be like the playoffs so early on because you're playing against hard team like in a night after night because it looks like that's the way it's going to be. Um, that yeah, if you get them in playoff mode early, kind of that's it in second half of the season, then they're going in for a for a kind of they're set up really well going into the playoffs. Yeah, I think that that's a wicked point. Um, I think I was listening to the Brooklyn Buzz and and they had the 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 very super knowledgeable Matt Brooks, who I love, who's a great follow on Twitter. Um, he was saying it's just a nice way that they can kind of, you can kind of game plan with all these kind of mini back-to-backs and it gives all sort of semi-playoff experience to, to these people um, that might not have it on your team, which, which can only really be a good thing. Um, yeah, so the, the, the other way that I think about it is what happens to this team if the Nets start off with a sort of bad, with a losing record. What, what do you think happens? I know the, the media have an absolute field day, but do you think that means we'll be more likely to make some mid-season moves or, or what, what do you think will happen? I think, um, I think they will panic. I mean, it's, yeah, the media is going to be on them, as you say, especially with what, the 19 televised games. It's going to be the talking point on all your ESPN talk shows if the Nets don't start well, because all eyes are on them. Um, but I think the key is to not panic, because we knew when we signed KD and Kyrie, especially after last season, that it's, it's going to take a bit of time for them to gel. They've said it themselves. Um, we'll probably go into that a bit more when we, we talk about Media Week. But they have said that, I mean, KD said, they're going to have to find their rhythm, first of all. So personally, I don't think I'd panic too much to say if we, in the first week if we dropped one of the Warriors or, or Celtics games. But I think there's so much pressure on the Nets at the moment that if they aren't succeeding early on, even if they find themselves, say, the seventh or eighth seed, at the end, when it comes to the, the trade deadline, they, they may need to make a drastic move. Um, and I think we will see moves, but they, I'd be much happier if they were sitting at, say, a... 25 and 11 record where they think they're quite confident going in and keep what they have. But I think they could be pressured into making moves if it doesn't go as well as they think it will. I mean, I'm kind of in two minds about this. I, I think it was DeAndre Jordan, we'll also discuss the media comments a bit further, but 
during his interview, something that stuck out to me was the fact that he said something along the lines of, we know we've got kind of outside pressure, we're not wanting to put any more pressure on ourselves. And whilst a few of them kind of said, oh, we know we've got championship kind of calibre team and we can win the championship, I think that was maybe Nash that said something along those lines. Um, I mean, I don't know if they will panic or not. I'd like to think kind of based on these comments that they won't, but ultimately you can't really tell. And I think until you're in that situation, you can't really say for certain if we're doing really badly. Of course, the media are going to have an absolute field day, but let's be honest, that the sports kind of media is fickle. It goes for all teams. If we win a few games, that's quickly forgotten. The second we lose one or two games, it'll be, oh, Kyrie and KD are busts. Of, the Nets have done all this and ruined their team and, and all this. So, yeah, I think we, we should probably wait until the trade deadline to kind of assess things and not panic too early. If, if we lose a few games early on, let's just think of us, we're going to lose games throughout the season anyway. You, you weren't going to have a perfect season and just keep going. We'll think night after night, let's not think too far ahead. This is a team who have very high expectations and a lot of pressure on them, but also a team, just looking at them, who, you know, who can do well. So, yeah, well, we've just got to wait and see, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely the right way to look at it. There's, there's as as high talent as this team is. I think there's obviously a lot of new players sort of integrating into playing together with new coaching staff and all that. So it's going to take a few weeks just to kind of get rotations all sorted and and get people comfortable playing with each other. Um, so that's going to be you know it's going to be a feeling out process. So I think yeah, maybe wait until trade deadline to really really decide what you know who this next team are. Um, it's probably the it's probably the right thing to do, but we've mentioned it a couple of times. Let's let's get into it. It's it's been media week this week, um, so instead of the normal kind of big uh, media day that we'd get with you know reporters going into the to the HSS centre and snapping photos and all that kind of good stuff, it's kind of been a little bit by Zoom from what I can from what I can gather. Um, Cammy, you've been taking a closer look, I know, as well as you have, Aidan. But um, what have been the main sort of talking? But as we as as we're recording now, it's it's still going on, so things things can change. But as it as it's been going on, what kind of, of the main talking points you've noticed been? I think the main talking point from this one is certainly Kylie Irving and the way he went about it. Obviously, the re- the rest of the next roster have kind of addressed the media via Zoom, but Kyrie opted to release a statement via kind of a PR person and. Now, this has led to him getting heavily criticised, but as we discussed it in our, in our UK Nets fans chat, I completely get why he's done this. We, we know all too well how Kyrie's treated in the media, how his words are twisted, and he's a smart man. A lot of people kind of see this as him being a bit scared, and yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that. I think that's a lot more kind of fans who don't support the Nets see that, but I think looking at it and understanding Kyrie and the kind of way he is and the way he's treated, I completely get the, the way he's went about it. And I mean, he's, he's not said anything too extreme. He's kind of said the stuff that you'd expect him to say. And I think that's quite a, a nice way to do it because perhaps that's, and I'm not certain of this, but maybe a way of taking some pressure off the rest of the team. And people are now looking at him, all eyes on him. And that's maybe something that could help the team in the kind of early weeks of the season because people are going to think, oh, look, he said this. He didn't want to speak to the media. He's thinking he's too big for this team and stuff all eyes will be on him and this could possibly kind of be a bit of a masterstroke whether he's purposely done it or not. I think it could could work out really well and could, as I say, relieve the pressure on some of these guys' shoulders that he's playing alongside. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Cammy. I mean, the main talking points that I've 
seen from media week have been Kyrie, obviously, in the last couple of days, in the last 24 hours. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about James Harden. But yeah, in terms of the Kyrie stuff, um, I understand why he's done it. I mean, the guy's been portrayed as a villain for the last few years, since his Cleveland days. Um, and I can see why he'd be fed up of it. Um, I saw Zach Harper um, on Twitter. He, he came out and said that um, it's his job. It's his job. As part of the NBA, when you sign your contract, the media comes along with it. You have to do interviews. It's just part and parcel with the NBA. And then there was a great response from this guy that said, if it was his job, why has he not been sacked yet? And it's a good point. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I can see where he's coming from, but I can obviously see where the media are coming from as well. Um, but yeah, it could, in terms of being a Nets fan, um, it could be really good for Kyrie. I mean, I always think of Kawhi Leonard as this kind of quiet guy. He doesn't really speak his mind very much, but he gets the job done on the court. And from reading Kyrie's statement, that kind of seems to be what he wants to do this year. Let me do my talking on the court, which I really like. Um, if he comes out and he balls out an MVP standard uh, this season, then the media are going to be praising him all year. Um, and he won't have his words twisted because he's not talking uh, to the media afterwards. Um, but in terms of being on the podcast here, it's not great for us, to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, his quotes are going to be talked about all year long. And let's be honest, some of the things he does say is really funny. So it's, uh, it's a shame we're not going to get... We'll wait and see because they've not confirmed if this is a year-long thing. He's kind of came out on Instagram and said, oh, believe what you see and um, or you can kind of think your kind of own thing but I I think um, this was just a kind of spur of the moment he's trying to prove a point um, and I think we will hear from Kyrie this year uh, but I can see I can see why he wanted to do that yeah I think if anyone's sort of earned the right to be a little bit cheesed off with how the media have treated him it's Kyrie Irving um, taking a look at the some of the coverage that's come around it um, the league's media policy requires active players to be accessible to reporters at practices and games. Failure to do so could result in a fine. I mean, I'm sure Kyrie well, Irving's got some games. So. Exactly. So, so they're going to play him. pretty fast and loose with those. But yeah, I think it's one of those. It's just like, if Kyrie talks to the media, there's going to be a certain element of the media that are going to turn it into something anti-Kyrie. If Curry doesn't talk to the media, there's going to be a certain element of the media that <laughs> turn it into something anti-Curry. So why expend the energy? Do you know what I mean? It's just like, mm. dude's just bored of it, man. Um, he does so much good for the community, for the NBA as a whole. Um, the only thing that I think how it might negatively impact the team, again, is, is not through what Kyrie's actually done. It's just how it's going to be handled by everyone else whose job it is to make up you know fill columns and and fill websites and blogs and stuff and if they start you know bothering Karis with why isn't Kyrie doing this and what's Kyrie doing this if if reporters can't get to Kyrie to ask these questions so they start bombarding his mates with those questions that might just I don't know that could ruffle feathers I'm not sure but again that's that's not down on Kyrie it's just like he's said look i I hope we win. And that's basically like his, his whole statement was like, I hope we do really well. Mm. I want to win. I'm working with this team. And, you know, it was, it was a great statement. And, you know, I think anything negative that comes out of it is, is unfortunately part and parcel of, of that, 
you know, the, that part of his job, like that guy said. Um, but yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of a stinky part of the job, unfortunately. Um, is there anything else that sort of uh, caught your eye with, uh, with Media Day? Uh, rather than caught my, almost blinded me, uh, were Taylor Johnson's teeth. Obviously <laughs> got the bag from us with that new contract and clearly went and got his, got his teeth done because he opened his mouth and he could have lit up all of New York City. It, it was, <laughs> yeah, his teeth were, were fairly white, but I mean, there was a few good quotes. I've got quite a lot written down here. He admitted that he didn't know how consistent Karras was pre-bubble, which I think was quite nice to see that a lot of people are now kind of realising Karras' qualities. Um, he said he's ready to take hold of opportunities that come his way and what he thinks will be a crazy season. And yeah, I can't really disagree with that. So after that, we had tons of other people speaking. DeAndre Jordan said a good few things. Uh, probably the most notable one was, I think they look like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So that's yet more proof that, that these guys have come back from injury and they're, they're playing how we expect them kind of to play. A lot of people have been critical and asked questions about how good they're going to be post-injury. But that's DeAndre Jordan said it, and so many other people have said that they look classed again. So that, that can only be good news for us. Uh, Jarrett Allen, perhaps a bit worrying for me, and this was maybe the most worrying kind of comment I'd seen, was he doesn't know what's going to happen with his role. He's not been told anything. And now this worries me a little bit, whether that means he's perhaps going to be traded, and that's the reason for kind of radio silence with him. I'm not entirely sure. Um, KD also pointed out that we, in reference to him and Kyrie, know what good basketball, championship-level basketball looks like and hopes his work ethic can help teammates find out who they are. And I think that's a great kind of attitude to have. So him and Kyrie know what it takes to win a ring. They've won multiple rings. And the fact that he's looking to improve his kind of teammates just by working hard, I think that's, that's really admirable. Um, I don't think who else. Torian Prince also praised Kyrie and KD by saying uh, those guys are better leaders than people realise. And... I think one more thing that really stood out to me was Steve Nash. I'd obviously referenced it a bit earlier on when he said, we realise we're trying to compete for a championship. And then he also said there'll be some similarities to the seven seconds or less sons with regards to our play style. So, I mean, so much to kind of take in from all those media interviews. And if you've not already listened to them, I would, I would encourage you to do so. A lot of really good kind of content there. And you can spend a good few hours just listening to the guys who are clearly up for this season and who know what, what's kind of ahead for them and what they need to do. Yeah, I I really enjoyed uh, the interviews. I mean, the two standout ones for me, I, I kind of sat with a few beers and watched them last night. Uh, Kevin Durant, it was just not even what he said. I mean, it was just incredible to see Kevin Durant talking about being a Brooklyn Net. I just thought that was absolutely amazing. It's just, it's still surreal. I mean, you, you look at these kind of top tier sports people, you look at Lionel Messi, Roger Federer, Tiger Woods, you look at these and they just kind of glow differently when you know they're so good. Um, and he's just one of those people for me. He's, I, I feel in his interview, he kept his cards close to his chest. He was kind of given a few kind of short answers. He was just like, yeah, yeah, we know what we are. Yeah, we, we kind of, he didn't say anything too much. I mean, the thing that stood out for me was when he was talking about there were kind of there was a lot of questions based on um, can you get back to that kind of standard of when you were at Golden State Warriors and he was just like I can do everything I've done before right now and it's just like it it does fill you with confidence. Um, the other one for me, just going back to what we we're saying about Kyrie, um, I was laughing my head off last night at Spencer Dinwiddie's um, media interview. I don't know if you saw the bit about Steve Nash when someone asked him. I think it might have been Brian Lewis asked him. Um, oh obviously growing up as a Lakers fan, 
Um, do you were you a fan of Steve Nash? Obviously, when he played for the Lakers, obviously that was the latter end of his career. And he was like, no, I hated Steve Nash. He was like, oh, I hated him. He was like, he played for the Phoenix. He absolutely destroyed um, the Lakers at times. So yeah, I absolutely hated him. And I was thinking to myself, if Kyrie said that <laughs> in the press till Christmas time, it's just like, oh, but. I've seen a few people say that Spencer Dinwiddie will always be the best person to interview on the Nets just because he comes out with things like that all the time. And not everyone loves Spencer Dinwiddie because he is a bit of a nutter. But, I mean, I absolutely love him and I think he's so funny. And um, I think his humour and his personality translates so well onto the court. So, yeah, if you get a chance to watch that, it's absolutely hilarious just to see that. Because usually in, like, a, a media room, there'd be obviously laughter if you were saying that, but it's just utter silence. So it was just like so awkward, but um, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, I love Spencer. Spencer, I really like, I really hope he's a net for a long, long time. I've got a lot of time for Spencer. Um, yeah, hopefully he'll be sixth man of the year this year. Um, but yeah, in a, on a truly stacked roster. But, but while we talk of the roster, we're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about the obviously this is is still a little bit up in the air. There, we there might there may still be moves to be made when it comes to the nets, um, but we're going to take a little bit of a look through um, this week. The nets published a, a a sort of a final draft of their roster going into training camp. So what we thought we'd do is, if you're new to the nets, that you know there's going to be a couple of new nets fans coming through. Um, maybe you're a first time listener to the podcast. Um, what we thought we'd do is we'd go through the all the players on this roster and just give you a little bit of a, a background as to you know what we might be expecting from them and where they might fit on this roster. Um, but yeah, I believe Cammy would go in with you first with a certain Mr. Kevin Durant. Indeed, we are. So, I mean, I think the expectation for Durant from me is take us to the finals. I mean, I think anything less is going to be regarded as a failure by the media and. I mean, let's be honest, we didn't bring Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in just to kind of remain the same team. We brought them in because we want to become we want to become someone. We want to become that team that people fear, the team that people want to watch, the team that players want to come to, and the team that ultimately win championship after championship. And I think it's either Sean Marks, I think it was Sean Marks actually that had said something about wanting to build something sustainable. That it's, they're not just wanting it to kind of be a flash in the pan kind of thing. And obviously Kyrie and KD aren't going to be around forever. But it's important that we manage to kind of build that structure that allows us to kind of compete year on year, even kind of post them. And with regards to what I'm expecting from KD, as I said, take us to the finals. I'm very confident that we're going to see the KD of old once he's back. Uh, well, he is back, I guess, in a sense. So I think we're probably going to kind of see him play all over the place. Um, I think it was maybe Steve Nash who said something about him being able to play anywhere, uh, guard anyone, play anywhere. And... Yeah, I think it's quite hard in that sense to kind of pinpoint him to one single position. I'd imagine he'll probably play, play at the four, but of course we could see him at the five. We could, see, we could ultimately see him anywhere. I mean, I think the scary thing about this, especially for other teams, is the fact that he can play all these positions and he's so good. You, can't, you don't get many players who can play five positions and do so, so well. So, yeah, huge kind of expectations for me on, on KD's shoulders and I'm fully confident that we're going to see a fantastic kind of season from him and hopefully maybe an MVP season as well. Yes, Pons. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Amazing. Um, so now it's my turn to go through with Kyrie. Um, clearly our starting point guard when healthy, um, but I think that's just the main 
main concern with Kyrie is his health. Uh, we only got 20 games of him um, as a Brooklyn Net last season. Um, but when he was healthy, you know, he, he had two 50-point games. Um, and he still averaged, what was it, um, 27 points a game in those 20 games. So he's gonna, he has the potential to play at an absolute MVP caliber level i think if he's helpful if, if he's healthy sorry um because obviously he, he's in a situation that he loves he's handpicked to be here back home playing for his hometown team playing with his good friends kd and his good friend um deandre jordan so the conditions are perfect for success um for kyrie irvin um obviously scoring is is the main thing that he's on this team to do that and his kind of um deep deep playoff experiences his champion experience um but I think he's actually going to get more opportunity to show off those offensive talents as well, being kind of um, offensive option 1A or 1B with KD as well. So now that, now that shoulder injury has gone through and been cleared, um, you know, the, the ceiling's really, really high for Kyrie. The only thing that I think might be a drawback is with all this expectation on the Nets and, you know, being in New York and all this kind of stuff is, does he get distracted or drawn into that kind of media um, stuff that goes on. Um, I'd hate to see it um, because you can see that Kyrie himself is just tired of it. Um, I hope, you know, from the statement he said, he just wants to go in and play winning basketball and I'm all signed up for that too. Um, my, I got a prediction for Kyrie for this season is that he's going to average a double-double for the season. That, that's my, that's nice. my prediction. So he's going to score 20. He's going to be a... a 25 and 10 for, for points and assists. That's, that's, my, that's my prediction going into this season. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I, I took a, a look at Karis Levert. Um, Karis, for me, is probably the player that we're kind of most excited to see what he does this year. Um, I'd say he's probably going to be our starting shooting guard this year. Um, obviously, depending on any injuries, I think that's where he's going to be. Um, he's looking more and more likely like he's going to be the third star that Sean March was looking for. Uh, obviously, we've not seen a trade involving him yet. Plenty of rumours, but no trade. Um, and obviously, I don't know if you've seen the Jersey promotions. Um, it seems to be that he is going to be that guy. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see Karras this year because obviously he's improved on everything kind of each year he's been in the league. Uh, one thing we saw last year was kind of a real spike in his usage and his stats. I mean, in the playoffs uh, last year, I know there wasn't many games, but he was averaging about 20 points, nine assists, six rebounds, which is, I mean, all-star numbers. Um, I don't think we can expect that this year. Um, he said it himself that he's been working a lot of off-the-ball stuff um, in preseason, and I think that is... Um, going to be his role this year. If, I mean, if he continues to improve from last year and like the years before, he's going to be an all-star. And it could happen. Um, but I think this year um, it's going to be a lot of off-the-ball stuff and I hope that he has improved um, defensively and kind of in his shooting. Um, the weird thing is if you look at that kind of predicted crunch time for the Nets, Karras is actually probably the worst shooting in that team. Um, which is weird because he still shoots like something like 36, 37% from three, which isn't bad. Um, 
So, yeah, that's one thing this year is that my slight concern with Karras is that he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much as he, w as he would um, in the previous years, but that's going to be the same for everyone, not named Kevin or Kyrie. Um, but, yeah, it's just about getting more effective and more efficient with the kind of shots he has and the minutes and the ball that he has. Um, that's the one thing I would say as well is because of his shooting, we may see him drop to the bench during crunch time because they may go for someone like a Landry Shamit for shooting or someone like Bruce Brown for defensive. Um, so, yeah, that, that could be something we see this year. Um, if I was to make a prediction this year, I think he is going to take that leap defensively due to his change of his role. And we've seen previously he can be a really good wing defender. And I think due to his kind of ball handling roles that he's had in the last few years, we've not really seen that as much because it's kind of taken priority. But I would love to see him take that real rise defensively this year. Moving on to Spencer Dinwiddie then. Dinwiddie is a player who is going to really intrigue me throughout this season. Of course, with Kyrie injured for large spells the last season, I think Dinwiddie played far more, especially as a start, than I think any Nets fan expected last season. Whilst undoubtedly a really good player, I think it's going to be a really interesting kind of time seeing how he reacts to not being on the court as much now I think he is probably going to be a sixth man and I'm going to go with what you said earlier on and say I think he could quite easily be a sixth man of the year because he is that good and I can't remember which one of you said it but I'm sure in one of the last pods you said he, he's just as he's good enough to be a starting point guard for many of the teams in the league and to be able to call on a player like that from the bench I think is absolutely massive as we've already said he's a real character and I think the most interesting thing for me with regards to Dinwiddie will be how he reacts to the, the change in his playing time. But I think Dinwiddie is a reliable player that we can call upon and a player who I think will serve as well. And if I'm not wrong, I also think this is his contract year. So that could inspire him to, to maybe do something a bit a bit more and above and beyond. And he's not the only player in the roster who's kind of in that contract year. So yeah, a lot of interesting kind of things with regards to Dinwiddie. Yeah, nice. So that takes us on to DeAndre Jordan, DJ. Um, so I think he's going to be our starting centre unless Jarrett Allen just goes so ballistic that he completely outshines him and it just becomes sort of forcing Steve Nash's arm. Um, I think DeAndre Jordan and Jarrett Allen weren't actually too far apart last season uh, in terms of quality and what they brought. Obviously, they split the minutes quite sort of similarly between them. Um, but I think with how Jarrett Allen played in the bubble, um, it, he was phenomenal. So I think that's really going to push DJ to to really earn earn those minutes and earn that contract. Um, saying that, he, he's a veteran presence. Um, and <laughs> my notes say, <laughs> as a pro, he's not as bad as people think, which sounds like a massive <laughs> dig. But I think, you know, if you watch him, he's, he's still good. Um, his defensive... Box plus minus is nearly double what Jarrett Allen's is, um, and he's got a slightly better defensive rating. So, that, obviously, that's just looking at the box score. But like, if he do, doing the eye test, obviously he he's not so mobile. Um, so you know, maybe with that this positionless sort of switchy kind of um, basketball we might be playing, it might be a little bit tricky um, to see if he can translate that over. Um, but yeah, that contract, that sort of lack of upside, him being a decade older than, than Jarrett Allen um, is a bit of a, something I'm going to keep an eye on. But I think, I think he's going to surprise people this year um, on the defensive end um, with the, the, this new sort of style we're going to be going, this kind of 
making sure we make a shot on the first quarter of the of the shot clock so it'll be six seconds or less you know as long as he's um protecting the rim and get grabbing rebounds i think he's going to be a really, really good uh asset for this team going forward yeah no i totally agree with deandre i think he's gonna have a really big year as well um yeah, moving on to Joe Harris. Firstly, I want to thank the boys because uh, it's no secret that we're all massive fans of Joe Harris. So if you can let me gush about him for the next couple of minutes, then I'm more than happy to do so. Um, he's probably the player I'm most excited about this year, uh, other than KD. Um, like I mentioned, for Harris, his stats have increased every year since he's been a net. Um, as we've talked about it so much already on this pod that he's going to get so many open looks from three this year. Um, and I think he's probably the guy that's going to benefit the most from playing with uh, Kai and Kevin. Um, I can't see much going wrong for Joe Harris this year. Um, only concern is that he's probably not going to get the amount of shots that he would on previous Nets teams just purely because it's going to be Kyrie and Kevin that are going to get the kind of the majority of the shots, I believe. Um, but it just it means that he's going to have to make those shots when he gets them. It's funny because like Joe Harris, I've always, just from kind of the eye test, he seems to be a guy that likes shooting when he has a defender. I don't know if you guys have kind of noticed that. He seems to be that type of guy that he likes when he's getting guarded by someone that's quite big. Um, and he seems to make those shots. Um, and then sometimes when he's open, he can miss them. But I think this year, because he's going to get open so much, it's going to become the norm for him. And I think he's going to be incredible this year. Um, we've seen a rise, especially last season, um, in his getting to the rim and his defensive end. I mean, for a, a guy that's not that big, the amount of blocks he gets is actually pretty good. Um, and he always seems to give 100% at the defensive end, which is exactly what we need um, from guys um, surrounding our stars. Um, I'm going to stick with my prediction that I've said to you guys over the last few weeks. I think he's going to be shooting over 50%, but if I'm going to be specific, I'm going to say he's going to shoot 52% from three this year. Um, and yeah, that's surely a, a record breaker for the amount of threes that he'll actually take. Um, but yeah, no, there's a few bookies in America that are saying, Joel Harris, this amount of odds for over 43% and put your life savings on it because this, guy this guy's going to go lights out this year. I mean, fingers crossed, I'd quite happily accept him shooting 52%. So I'm now going to speak about Jarrett Allen. Now, he was one of the players who I was referencing when I'd said about contract years. Jarrett Allen, I think this is an absolutely huge year for him, both in terms of just development and, and his career, because at the end of the year, he's either going to have proved himself to have earned a contract for the Nets, or he's going to have not done as well and not be a Net any longer. And he'll need to have done well enough to have got a contract elsewhere. And now, as you say, Matt, DeAndre Jordan's going to be the starter. So I think Janet Allen's certainly got a lot to prove. Um, the addition of Amari Stoudemire to our like, coaching team, I think that's going to be huge for kind of all our centres. But perhaps more so Janet Allen, given he's the youngest. Of the, well, in fact, we've got Claxton as well. But kind of the ones that will play regularly anyway. Um, I think Janet Allen, I think I've said this in one of the previous podcasts, his usage will be dependent on the kind of teams we are playing. I think... As you said rightly, Matt, him and DJ's kind of playing time was split quite evenly last season. And I think it will kind of be similar this year, depending on the level of opponent. We might see Jarrett Allen come in that bit more. I think certainly for the bigger games where we need that bit more experience, we'll see DJ get those extra minutes. But I think it's a position that's really open and perhaps a position where I think 
there's not an absolute guaranteed starter at it for the whole whole season, unlike in other positions like point guard, shooting guard, small forward and power forward. So yeah, I think it's going to be a massive year for, for Jarrett Allen. I was a huge fan of him. He was great in the bubble and who doesn't love that afro? So yeah, fingers crossed we see a fantastic Jarrett Allen this year. Yeah, it's all about that head and shoulders, apparently. So, you know, maybe, mm. I'll, maybe I'll give that a go. Um, so, yeah, moving on to a new addition to the Nets this year is Landry Shamut. Um, I really like the look of Landry Shamut. Obviously, I didn't watch a load of, um, load of him last year, but he seems super... I think he's 23, but he's had plenty of experience on a good Clippers team, um, which, you know, with for a team that's got aspirations like the Nets have, I think that's going to be really, really valuable. Um, and he should, you know, he should be able to slot in at the two nicely. He's a three. He typifies three and D. Um, he's actually top. I think I read somewhere that he's top fifteen in like players, active NBA players at the moment in uh, in three point percentage. Uh, and he's also no like he's got a reputation as a good defender. Um, so he's going to be absolutely brilliant to put sort of alongside Kyrie Irving and probably more likely with um, Spencer Dinwiddie in that second unit. Um, in terms of like cons or drawbacks or things that I'm worried about, I'm not sure. Um, just surely because I haven't sort of seen him play too much. But I think, you know, maybe chemistry and all that kind of stuff might be the only thing that might hold him back. But um, I, I think we could almost be talking about the best Nets six man could be between Spencer Dinwiddie and Landry Shamet. That's how, you know, he's got sort of, he impacts both ends of the floor. Um, so that's, that's my sneaky prediction for, for not six man of the year in the league, but like in terms of the nets, he could, he could be our, our seventh man of the year. Yeah. So you so see, you guys got to uh, talk about the Kings of New York and talking about Kyrie and Kevin, but I get to talk about the Prince of New York. So uh, I'm going to move on to Tori and Prince. I didn't plan that actually. No, I, I just came up with that there in my head. <laughs> gold, mate. Um, solid gold. <laughs> solid gold. Solid gold. Um, we know what we're kind of getting with Tori and Prince, um, but do we to a certain extent? I mean, if you were to search Tori and Prince at the moment on Google, like, the, the words that are linked with him are Tori and Prince and Salary Dump, which is interesting um, because uh, usually for the next and the last few years, Salary Dump is usually things that we're taking on board to gain picks. But there's been a few people talking that he could be someone that we could dump to take on a less salary and maybe someone else if we maybe give up a, a pick or something. But Zach Lowe from ESPN um, said that he doesn't think the Nets should do this and he doesn't think the Nets will do this, um, which I personally think is a good thing. Um, guys like Prince is a, the type of player that we need this year. Um, and I hope that playing with KD and Kyrie can get him back to his basic game as to why we brought him in in Atlanta was 3 and D. I mean, he, in Atlanta, he was one of the best 3 and D options that the Nets could bring in, and they did. Um, and we saw his best minutes was he, when he was playing that role. He's decent at shooting three-pointers, um, but he was forcing up so many shots last year. Um, there was at times, I mean... There was a game that uh, me and Cammy were actually at um, against Charlotte, where it was just um, it was Charlotte, wasn't it? Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. A couple um, of beers. Yeah, a couple of beers. Yeah, that was a couple of beers. <laughs> couple. Um, it was one of those teams, but uh, yeah, he just felt like he was shooting up shots all the time, and he was forcing them. And I don't think that's his best game. I think it's best when he kind of just lets the game come to him. 
And I think this is what we need from Torian this year. And I think that's how we'll see the best of him. Um, one thing that doesn't get talked about too much, he's such a good rebounder. Um, obviously, he had his best numbers as a rebounder in the league last year with the Nets because he was mainly playing power forward. But he gets the boards and we're going to need that this year, um, especially when we're going to have so many players um, around the perimeter. If he doesn't find consistency early, it could be a real issue for Torian Prince and he could see himself slipping out the rotation really quickly just purely because of the competition that we've got in that team. Um, yeah, so that's, he needs to take less improbable shots, um, but that's the thing he's, the thing he's not going to have to this year because it's, if there's five seconds left in the clock, it's going to be going to one of the, the two guys. Um, but if I was to predict something for Torian this year, I think he's going to win over the next fans. I don't think there's going to be as many eyes on him this year because he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much. Um, but I'd love to see him turn around his form and live up to his contract. I mean, yeah, I think everyone would like to see him live up to his contract. So a player who we know can do quite well and I think he could be a more than a serviceable piece. So I'm going to talk about our defensive dog, Mr. Bruce Brown, uh, one of our new acquisitions for this season. Now, I'm not going to claim to be some Bruce Brown know-it-all. I, I know very little, but Certainly going off of his comments and what everyone else has had to say and the kind of limited stuff I have seen, you can tell this guy is a top defender and a player that will probably be a second or third string shooting guard depending on probably the situation. I think it will be between him and Landry Shamit for that kind of second second unit again, depending on the games and depending on the time in the games because I think he could be a really good player, especially in crunch time when we need to get shooters out on the floor. But at the same time, the other team are going to be in that kind of situation where they're leading points. So I think having that kind of balance could, could be great. I think offensively, he's he's kind of come on in the past year or so. I have seen a lot said about that. And I'd like to hope that he could kind of build on that this year and add kind of more to his game, become a kind of two-way player, which I think you can never really grumble at. So, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I think he is going to be maybe a top defender this year, and that's going to be my prediction. Love that, I hope so. Bruce the Barnacle, I love that. Um, so that, that leads me on to TLC, the, the, the probably the most handsome member of the, of the Brooklyn Nets. He's a, he's a frustratingly handsome man uh, and super smooth with that French accent. Um, so got sort of asked to do a lot last season. I think, talk about positionless basketball, I think he probably played every position for us in, a, in some way, shape or form uh, for the Nets last year. Um, but I think, you know, where he'll end up is probably playing the three for us. Um, and hopefully he'll settle into that and get a bit more consistency. I think he's probably got the potential to be the Nets' latest kind of G League reclamation kind of project find. Um, he was developing quite nicely in the bubble. He shot, uh, he averaged 16 points per game. Um, but he is super, super streaky. Uh, he's as likely to go red hot from deep um, as he is to foul out in the first half in the next game. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, but I think with next season, it's, it will be between him and someone like your, your Kuruts, um to finally sort of find that solid those solid rotation minutes um, towards the end of the bench. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping for a bit more of a solid start uh, and a solid season from TLC this season. Yeah, Twitter was mad for TLC during the bubble. They were just like, it was either zero or 100. It was like, oh, why is he here? Or, oh, he's amazing. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to move on to, to Jeff Green now. Um, obviously, another new addition to the team. Um, kind of a low-risk, potentially high-reward type of signing, uh, which I always like. Um, one, what, he's one of these guys that he's came to the Nets to try and win a ring, uh, which is I find really exciting that we're starting to get these players that are coming to try and get that ring before they retire. Um, yeah, Jeff Green, I mean, he's played the majority of his career as a power forward, uh, which I think most Nets fans would probably be hoping that be what he's coming in to do. But from kind of listening to, to Media Week, it sounds like he is going to play the majority of his minutes as a small ball five. Now, moving on to uh, what Cami said earlier about Jarrett Allen, that could be potentially where he loses some of his minutes this year, is when they are going small ball and they're playing someone like Jeff Green at the five or KDC. Um, yeah, when he played for Houston last year, um, he gave some really good minutes as a small ball five. He was getting about 12 points um, a game or so. Um, he played in probably what's going to be a similar system. Uh, obviously, they had Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni is going to be a, a big part of the Nets offense this year. Um, yeah, he, as I said, yeah, you know, when he put in his media day presser, he says that he's here to win a ring. It's a great attitude to have in the vets, I think. Um, always go back to Jared Dudley one of my kind of favourite vets we've had over the years, when he had Jared Dudley, what a guy, what a guy. It killed to have him back in the team. Uh, Lakers have got a real asset there. But to have that type of Jared Dudley type character in the team, um, it always falls through to the young guys. Um, if you ask any of those next players um, about the kind of big character guys in the dressing room, it was always Jared Dudley. And I really hope Jeff Green can kind of um, be that type of character for this year. Um, but in terms of on the court, um, he's going to impact both ends. He can stretch the floor, can defend well. Uh, the only issue with him is, especially if he's going to play small ball five, um, is that rebounding has never been a really good thing for Jeff Green. It all seems to be an issue. I don't think he's had over five, average five rebounds in a game like in any season he's played, uh, which could be an issue because, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to need guys that can need to get boards this year. Um, so yeah, no, I think Jeff Green um, he's going to be that type of guy that we may not see many minutes in the first three quarters but in that fourth quarter he could come on which was similar to what Jared Dudley did where he kind of had very few minutes but when they're trying to kind of get those games at the end where they're just trying to hold on to that victory he might be that type of guy that's going to be playing a lot of minutes in the fourth um, and I think yeah, when we're going small he's going to see the majority of minutes at the five the final player for me is Nicholas Claxton. Now, I feel really bad for Clax, uh, a player who we're all very fond of, a very promising player who seemingly has a, a really high ceiling, but whether we're going to see him really kick on this season, I, I really don't know. I think we're probably going to see him split his time between ourselves and Long Island. Um, I've already mentioned DJ, there's Jared Allen, and Aidan's just mentioned Jeff Green there, all, all options who can play at centre, and I'd probably have Claxton sitting at that fourth-choice centre option right now, which is far from ideal. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real shame for Clax. I mean, whether, whether we see maybe change positions to try and get more minutes, I'm not too sure, perhaps play his power forward. Of course, he'd maybe need to improve in his shooting if he is going to play there, but... Uh, he's a big lad and a, a, a likeable character as well. And uh, as I said at the kind of top of my introduction for him, I feel really bad for him. He's maybe a player who I think if things aren't going well, he could be packaged in a trade just due to the kind of promise he's shown. As much as I'd love to see him kind of progress and become a, a key player in this next team. But yeah, lots of question marks regarding Claxton from me. 
yeah, fingers crossed he, he finds, finds some time to shine. Uh, and talking of shining, he got a new contract, he got a new teeth. I'm talking about Tyler Johnson, uh, likely to be our third string point guard, but come play uh, the shooting guard too. He's on another really super team-friendly contract. Um, I think he, he's on the same contract as Jeffrey, so he's on a vet's minimum, um, and he's looking to prove himself. Obviously, he got that massive payday um, in Miami that we almost paid for, that $50 million uh, contract. Um, and he, he subsequently bounced around. He went to Phoenix and got waived before we picked him up to go into the bubble. But, you know, he's looking to prove himself, and he seemed to find his rhythm um, with the Nets in the bubble. Um, you know, he's especially offensively, he, he looked really, really sharp and he looked like he was kind of growing in confidence, um, which is really good to see. Um, the, the con would be it's very busy at his position um, and he's really leaky on defense. So my prediction would be that it's going to take some sort of injury and knock on wood that that doesn't happen. It's going to take some sort of injury for TJ to play any meaningful part in this season. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen, happen, but that's just my, that's just my gut feeling. Yeah. He's, he's not a bad option um, in terms of say like a third or fourth option point guard. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely going to come down to injuries. If he's, if he's going to see many minutes this year, um, moving on, finally, um, to Rodion's Kuruks. Um, as a fellow European, I mean, you've just got to feel sorry for Rodi. I, I just don't think that the Nets is the right team for him. He's probably right at the end of the bench in terms of options. Um, it could be that impact three or four that we saw in the last few years um, when we just needed that type of gritty player to come in. Um, but after we saw a drop in his minutes in the court last year uh, and the type of team that we are this year, I just don't know if we're going to see much, if any minutes at all, for Rodions. Um, I mean, he's still in the team and he's one of the few guys that are over six foot eight, um, which could play to his advantage when we're playing against bigger teams. Um, he's still young. <sighs> He could take a leap this year just due to his experience in the year, in, in the league, sorry. Um, decent shooter, tenacious, uh, doesn't lack confidence, that's for sure, which we've seen over the last few years. Uh, I'd love to see him come back this year and have a few games like he did. I always go back to that game against Blake Griffin, where he was running Blake Griffin all over the court for the Pistons. He was kind of lobbing the ball over his head and stuff like that and running on. It was great. Um, and at that time, we really thought that we did have the steal of the draft. We were picking him in the kind of mid-40s. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I would not be surprised if he's gone by the trade deadline this year, which is a real shame, but I do think he's good enough to find a team in the league. I mean, obviously, he's had a lot of personal problems when, he, when he's been at the Nets. He's been in and out of court. Um, but in terms of on the court, he's very, very raw. Um, and he has still a lot to learn about the game playing in the NBA. He's got really poor decision making. He was called for traveling an excessive amount like last year. I know they kind of slightly changed the rule, but he was getting called seems to be any time he was on the court. And he wasn't on the court for very long. Um, but yeah, there's, there just doesn't seem to be one thing at his game that he's really good at, uh, which is a shame. But I do think if he can find some consistency, your teams like your Charlotte's or your, your Knicks uh, could do with someone like that just as a project. But I, I think, yeah, Rody's going to be away this year. 
Yeah, rookie rookie roadie was something else, but yeah, I hope I hope he does kind of find some form, whether it be on the nets or not. The the nets did obviously sign a couple more players to some exhibit ten deals this week, but I think you know we're we're one watch watch bomb away from you know all this kind of going out the window, and we're going to trade up. So we're going to wait and uh, and hold judgment on those. Fingers crossed, Chris Chioza makes it onto this team for next season. Um, but that's it. That was our roundup this week of the Nets roster, uh, what we might expect uh, going into training camp and hopefully next season. Thanks as ever for coming on and joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening. Hope you enjoyed watching and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks again to Aiden and Cammy for joining me again this week. Make sure you subscribe to the BK to UK podcast wherever you get your pods. Leave us a review and make sure you hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure for everything you go and check out uknetsfans.com. We'll see you next time.